am honored and excited to welcome Malak Kreisha to kick off season two of our podcast. Malak grew up in Jordan in the Middle East. One of my favorite things about the CFA Charter is that it is truly global, from both a unified investment framework as well as getting to know people you may not have met otherwise. Malak currently works in the fintech and venture capital space, and I really want to explore this further because this is a non-traditional path for CFA charter holders. We typically see charter holders in asset management. Malak is one of the youngest CFA charter holders in the Middle East, and her story is full of twists and turns and literal broken bones. I know I have you in suspense now. So without further ado, let's talk to Malak. Malak, welcome to the podcast. Can you start off by telling us a bit about where you're from and your educational background? I grew up in Amman, Jordan. Uh, it's the, uh, this very small country in the Middle East. I studied high school actually in Arabic, and then I went to on to pursue my undergraduate studies in the American University of Madaba. I did my undergraduate studies in banking and finance. In banking and finance, you're taught early on about the CFA and significance of the charter within the industry. So it was always something that we aspired to. It was always this challenge, this mountain uh, Everest kind of situation on, on how I looked at the charter. And then I, I graduated and uh, went on to pursue a career in, in uh, the financial sector. Upon graduation, I had the, the role uh, as a financial analyst in the first fintech-focused corporate venture capital to come out of the Middle East, actually. The first year holding my role, of course, with fintech was a new def- new term globally, not just in the Middle East, but more so to, to my career and uh, to my background um, in finance, the tech part was uh, a new addition to explore. This new job, this new field in fintech and venture capital, You said you were well aware of the CFA program from your time in college. When did you seriously consider joining the CFA program? In 2018, I've been doing my job for almost a year. My boss came to us as part of self-development. He offered the opportunity to sign up for certificates or training courses of our choice. So naturally, of course, I thought about doing the CFA. So they gave us a day to think about it and process it and see what we wanted to do. So I went back home and I was thinking about doing the CFA and, and I, I was I was very nervous and scared of this commitment that required on average a minimum of four years. So I went back home and I, I wanted to talk to my brother, he's like my best friend. So we went outside uh, uh, to take a stroll, uh, to take a walk. It was actually nighttime, so it was after work. And while we were walking, I, I was telling him about, I'm thinking about doing this and I'm, I'm really nervous and scared. So he tried to push me. He's like, why wouldn't you go for it? Then I started to describe it as the most challenging thing ever. It requires on average uh, a minimum four years. I might not be able to do it. And then all of the time and effort put would be gone to waste. Maybe I'm not uh, smart enough or I don't have enough background. Having studied uh, in a school in, in Jordan, while this is an international certificate that is among the elites of certificates in the in the financial industry in particular. And I, I described the challenges and fears uh, of me pursuing this path. So my brother, which um, is a PhD student in psychology and studying consistently and researching is just the norm for him. He went on to encourage me aggressively actually and be like, just answer me this. What are you thinking? Why are you thinking of not doing it? I'm like, because what if I fail? 
uh, then all of this time and effort would go to waste. So he answered me back, and so what if you do fail? There's a lot of learning that happens along the way, so it's not just getting there, it's actually the journey. He went on to say that not doing something because you're scared uh, of doing it has no reason to stop you from doing anything at all, actually. As a matter of fact, if you stay in your comfort zone, you will never progress into anything more. So we should always take risks, even if you don't know what kind of payoff you'll have from them. That's the only way to explore them. So I went on and uh, was with his encouragement and I really, I was hesitant and scared and very anxious about it, but I went on to do it and I had a very supportive team and a supportive family. The first time doing it actually, to, because you don't, you're not sure what to expect, so a, a lot of pressure comes with that. It's your first time. I remember the exam in Jordan, um, it, this was when um, the exam was paper-based, so it only happened once a year in Jordan, and that date already passed, so I can only register if I wanted to do it at the next date. I can only re register to do it in December in another country, that's in the Emirates, a close country to ours. And so I registered, and coincidentally, the exam was actually on my birthday weekend, <laughs> so I couldn't celebrate naturally. I booked a hotel right next to the exam venue and I got there two days prior and I just locked myself in the hotel room. Probably not very healthy, but just needed something to waste the time because I was so nervous. And then exam day comes and I've, let me tell you, I've prepared quite a lot to be honest, but you still feel like you haven't done enough because the material is so voluminous and you can't really get a grasp on everything, nor do you really have to, you know. But anyways, I got there and... I was, it was honestly a mesmerizing experience because um, it was this huge venue. It was like, I think like a hunger for airplanes where they park or something like this. It was massive. At least 1,000 candidates were there, or perhaps that's how I perceived it. And then you had people from all nationalities, all ages, all backgrounds, just so diverse going in to sit for this exam. And I remember as I was seated in this massive room, the sun was rising and it was like hitting my eye before like I got my paper and I started off with the exam. I remember a few hours after when I like took off my eyes off of the paper and lifted my head, the sun was setting behind me. So that a lot of time has passed. It was a really unique experience. And then I went home. Of course, you don't know how you performed. Thankfully, I passed and within the 19th uh, percentile, uh, which I love telling this story because sometimes even if you don't feel the confidence, if you put on the work and you do everything, you might just be doubting yourself, but that doesn't mean you won't outperform. And so it was it was amazing passing level one with the 19th percentile. I had to celebrate and everything. And uh, I took for the second part. The second part played out a bit differently because it was playing out during COVID and the restrictions and uh, passing of exam dates and cancellations. So it was a, a, a mental challenge. We also had restrictions and we had to work from home, which is, I believe, the case for many people. So I would wake up at home and then, I mean, for level one, I remember I would like sneak in, study hours before uh, the start of the day at work in the office and afterwards. Sometimes because I had to, I had a full-time job, I would actually wake up at like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. and start off my day studying because I preferred studying in the earlier hours of the morning. And then I would work, finish my work, study for another one or two hours, and then go to the gym because I, I believe that really helps you distress and just like 
refresh for the next day and then sleep off and then repeat. But in the case of my uh, level two exam uh, during COVID, I would actually wake up from the bed, from beds in my bedroom and then sit on this uh, home office that I set up like right next to my bed and start working and then studying and then just go to sleep, you know? It was quite the different setup, so it was more of a challenge. Malak, first of all, congratulations on level one. You doubted yourself, but you pulled up 90th percentile. I also love the advice your brother gave you. The journey itself makes it worth it. Now let's turn to your experience with level two. That is a very different experience going from the pre to post COVID world. So much has changed. Was this change the biggest obstacle you had to overcome? Actually, one of the biggest obstacles I had to overcome during my CFA journey was doing level two and I was two months prior to the exam. So I try to maintain an active life. So I do and and I like uh, integrate hobbies so that I'm able to shut off work or, or studying and then focus my mind on something else. So I play calisthenics, which is high intensity kind of workouts from gymnastics. And then I also do horse riding. Jordan has one of the nicest weathers in the world. It's a very moderate weather. The majority of Jordan, by the way, is desert-like. And we have a thing for horses. The open spaces really allow you to ride in open air and the weather just really helps, which is beautiful. So sports outdoors are very common. We have a very natural, serene kind of backdrop in Jordan. And during that time, I was training for a show jumping, which is basically where you ride over obstacles across the course uh, so I ride off outside the city and in this place at some point I missed my jump I mistimed my jump because it's really split second kind of situation where the horse is jumping off and then you have to lift your body kind of a bit over the horse and I mistimed that and I remember just walking opening my eyes and everything was so bright I had to fell off of the horse And I remember looking at my hand, it was uh, uh, as if someone took out the stuffing from a doll. It was just like hanging. So basically what happened is I fell off head first and then all of my body weight uh, on my wrist. It was a a bit of a shock to everyone (laughs) that was riding along on the course. I can't even imagine how painful that must have been and shocking. Did they have medical staff on call to treat you immediately? Because it was far off from the city, one of my friends had to drive her car inside the arena where we were riding and just carry me over and put me in the car. And it was like a 45-minute drive in the peak hours of traffic, sadly. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you ever broke a bone, but the thing about breaking bones, it's not like this pain that comes and goes. It's this constant pain that carries out. And then, so I was taken to the hospital and I had to do emergency right away. Full anesthesia, they had to operate on my hand and they had to put it back. And I wouldn't get into the, the messy details of that story. But the problem with that is it was so close up to the exam that I had already put a lot of effort into the exam so much and like bypassing all of the COVID restrictions and the challenges and the mental efforts. So coming back, I took from the hospital, I took a few days off, to be honest, and I was still on like heavy pain medication. And I got back on the horse, <laughs> if one might say, and I started studying again. And it was it was really funny at times I was laughing off of my, on my own because um, I would we, I would be studying with one arm and like holding the calculator in one arm and like barely able to move 
maybe I wasn't able to do a math at that time. So I opted for studying ethics instead. And so I continued. And to be honest, looking back at that period, I don't, I'm not sure if I actually was able to retain any information having been on so much medication. However, it really helped me maintain my focus. It helped me maintain my grit and remember like which path I'm on, which is great. Um, studying is like practicing anything. It's like going to the gym, you know? Sometimes you want to do it. It's fun. You're looking forward to it. Other times you really don't want to go or you're tired or you're burnt out. But it's all about this creating this habit and consistency of always showing up, no matter the level of effort you put. So that was that. And I actually seated to the exam. Experience was quite different this time because it was we're still coming out of COVID. And at this time, it was the first time the exams were computer-based or computerized. So it was a very much more individualistic experience, meaning that you got there, you started off when the process for you individually was over, it was done. So you got your name, you registered, whatever. So you walk into your computer, you start on your own timing. So when I walked in, a lot of people already had started. And then the exam was over a period of 10 days. So less candidates per day. So it was much more different experience. And you had to wear masks throughout the exam, which a weird experience, to be honest. <laughs> and that was that. It was very exciting to pass, especially for level two, because honestly, level two is, is, to me at least, it was challenging in terms of it's new material. It's, it's more technical than level one. You have a lot of new terms and definitions and concepts that are introduced to you. And then it, it's, it's the, the, the material is, is more voluminous than level one. At least that's how I felt. Having had a broken finger in the past, I do understand the level of pain you need to endure. It's amazing you were able to buckle down and pass level two after going through such a shocking experience. Hopefully level three was a bit less dramatic for you. Tell us a bit about how it was different. For level three, I believe the challenge came in differently because I was more advanced in my career. So I had more responsibilities. Some of them I could not shift or hand over to someone else. It was also the beginning of life getting back to normal after COVID. So it had a, a lot of social activities and distractions. And I was at this uh, point in my life where a lot of my friends were getting married or having kids so we're, there were a lot of social commitments as well and I remember so my books traveled with me to a lot of vacations <laughs> like they went on holidays with me I remember one month before my level three exam I actually took my books with me on my best friend's bachelorette and I would actually be on the beach studying for my exam and then closing my books and partying with the girls so it's it's just, I was really committed to my studying, but I was also committed to myself. And I knew for me personally, at least that's how it worked. You had to, you had to have a schedule, a study schedule that was dynamic. You had to place it around your life in a way that you, because you're studying for a minimum of three years, you have to make it work for you. You have to still live and be there for yourself, have time for yourself have time to disconnect and refresh and so I would take frequent breaks but I would also consistently study for a very, for a very long time 
I actually, for CF, uh, for Level 3, um, the CFA Institute sent us out an email saying that for this year, we are giving uh, candidates an option to postpone the exam. Because I felt I wasn't prepared, I really thought this over and I was thinking about postponing, but I didn't. I'm like, I will try my best and make this work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's all right. And I didn't postpone and I actually ended up passing. So you have to have confidence in yourself. You have to try and you have to be, I think, the number one advice I would give is you have to be okay with failing. Because if I stopped because I was scared of failing, I wouldn't have pursued the CFA. And I am actually now one of the youngest charter holders in Jordan. I finished my charter at the age of 25, which is just one of, I believe, my biggest accomplishments. And it was, it was, it was an amazing journey that really taught me not just it wasn't just the material, it taught me a lot of self-discipline. It taught me also, it showed me, I, now I have more confidence in under, undertaking challenges and how I carry myself along the way as well. Congrats on accomplishing all of that at such a young age. It's really inspirational. I'm curious though, venture capitalism isn't a typical role for a CFA charter holder. Do you actually feel having the charter benefits you in your current role? Absolutely. So I've actually heard that from a lot of people, a lot, a lot of other candidates uh, that come up to me, my peers in the industry that come up to me and tell me, do you really benefit from having a charter holder as a venture capitalist? And like I mentioned before, it's really about self-development and learning and always seeking knowledge. And I promise you, like I swear, knowing this today, even if you're not seated for the exam, the material is worth every penny. The books are just amazing. There is no pool of knowledge that's organized in this ideal way anywhere, at least not that I've come across with. And I tell you this because there were a lot of instances where there's something like a piece of information that I already know, but I want to double check. So I search it online or I want, I want to look for a complementing piece of information. So I go and I search online and it's so hard to find that piece of information in an organized, direct manner so easy to go back to my books and just find it where I want it right there and very communicated very clearly and I tell you this from numerous experiences and it's also very important to learn how to think in other disciplines within the financial industry so not to have that just one aspect or one way of looking at things you have you learn how you can think about the 10 topics within level one and level two that focus on quantitative methods research you think about economics and you think about reporting and derivatives and the capital markets and you know all of these and ethics all of these play out a role in any role that you take or any profession that you're pursuing and it's very important to have these different ways of thinking about things. So in venture capital, we do a lot of research. We're working with people, so you, you, you require a level of knowledge on ethics and how to interact with people on reporting, because you're looking at uh, financial statements all the time. You want to have a deeper ability to ex extract insights from statements of portfolio companies or able to develop projections for those portfolio companies so that you're able to value them or compare them. So it's, it's, it's many things. And actually, I can give you a very recent example of how the charter helped advance myself and my, my role or played a role in my day-to-day -day work. I was actually recently working on developing the investment policy statement for our fund. And I directly, knowing this, it was in um, level three CFA material under the institutional investors and uh, how to manage institutional investors. And you find it there. 
kind of, to be honest, a step-by-step guide on how to develop it and build it, asking the right questions and then just filling in the answers. So it was really, it really gave me a lot of shortcuts to deliver something that is A-class. I absolutely agree with everything you mentioned. The CFA program is like a lifelong toolkit that you can just keep going back to. The curriculum also evolves with changing times. Malik, you are a shining star, and I wish you the very best of success in your career. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. I know many people will be inspired.